Hi, welcome to Soul of a Warrior. My name is Morgan Pate. I am making my first YouTube video in my 13th podcast episode, which can also be found on Spotify. So today I would like to talk about the history of the tampon and I'm using a written paper by Sarah Kowalski from December of 1999 called Tampons in American History. So the earliest commercial tampons were introduced in the United States around the late 1920s, early 1930s, about 40 years after commercial pads had been introduced. Unlike menstrual pads, which have gone through an elaborate evolution over their hundred or so years of commercial production, tampons have remained pretty much the same. While pads went from reusable rags to disposable cotton-worn attached to a belt, from bulky rectangular sponge-like things to ultra-thins with wings, tampons have always been wads of cotton or rayon fibers attached to a cord and sometimes inserted with an applicator of one variety or another. Details change, but the concept has remained very much the same since the 1930s or so when tampons were invented. This evolution of pads may remind people of the fact that they have a history. It is only within the last generation that self-stick pads were invented. So that's pretty interesting. Ever since, like, since I started using pads and tampons, they were always stick. Um, and I remember, like, the the pads and the, the vending machines in high school bathrooms and things, they would always be the really, really thick cotton, like, inch-thick pads and they didn't always have the sticky on them. Um, and in the early ni- or in the early 2000s, the thin pads um, were introduced. But for now, I'm talking about tampons. So today, tampons. I'll talk about pads in another episode because it's really interesting too. Just like the evolution of the pad. Okay. I think it's it's useful information for women to talk about and just to know, like. We don't we don't have these conversations about like oh the you know women in the 1700s used to use this as a tampon or this as a pad. We don't talk about these things regularly, and I think it's really fun to introduce this subject and to get people to talk about it and maybe just like educate. And for myself, I'm educating myself and I'm learning too. So this is fun. Details change, but the concept has remained... Okay, I already read that. This evolution of pads may remind people of the fact... Our mothers used pads attached to belts or pins. The tampons our mothers used when they were young, though, were likely very similar to the ones we use now. In a very basic way, women seem more aware of the history of menstrual pads than that of tampons. Most people understand that there was a a time when women used rags to catch their menstrual blood instead of the disposable products we have today. Tampons are usually viewed as a wholly new invention. However, the official Tampax history webpage contradicts this belief, suggesting that tampons in one form or another have been around since practically the dawn of time. 
the ancient Egyptians fashioned disposable tampons from softened papyrus. The Greek physician Hippocrates, writing in the 5th century BC, described another type of tampon which was made of lint wrapped around lightweight wood. Can you imagine? Ooh. Elsewhere, women improvised from the materials at hand. In Rome, it was wool. Japan, paper. And in Indonesia, vegetable fibers. In equatorial Africa, rolls of grass. I could not. I could not imagine sticking rolls of grass at Mahoha. And just like, I'm really curious about the span of time that they had that in there. Lint wrapped around lightweight wood. How long was that good for? Do they keep that in long term? I understand. I mean, I could see, I could see wood being like an easy way to, to take a tampon out. I, I get that part of it, but okay, there's so many factors. You could get splinters, the infections, wool, sticking wool, paper. Like, these are things that oh, man. I'm really curious about the side effects of these methods and, and what what else they had to deal with because of these methods. Because they were not sanitary. So, I mean, maybe I don't know. The sources for all this information are not discussed, nor does the Tampax page mention in its history of early tampons the fact that there were other brands which sold commercial tampons before Tampax did. So Tampax um, became a company in the mid-1930s, and I'll go over that in a second. What it does proudly proclaim, though, is the fact that Tampax was the first tampon to be sold with an applicator. Several brands of tampons were around in the late 1920s and early 1930s before Tampax was introduced in 1936. Which one came first is not really known, though Fax, F-A-X, seems like a likely candidate. The Fax tampon rather than being removed by a string, was covered in a layer of gauze, which the woman twisted and used for removal of the tampon. This unusual removal method is one of the things that makes it seem as though Fax was introduced before the other tampons of around the same time, which had strings for removal. None of these early varieties of tampons, Fax, Holly Pax, Modern Woman, in new naps, to name a few, had applicators until Tampax. This idea for the telescoping cardboard tube applicator tampon was developed in the 1930s by Dr. Earl C. Haas of Denver, Colorado. He filed his first patent application for a version of this device in 1931, soon after he registered the name Tampax as a trademark, explaining that it coined It was a coined term which he put together from the word tampon and vaginal pack. 
1934, Haas's patents were purchased by a group of investors, and the Tampax Sales Corporation was born. The most important function of this corporation would be to figure out how best to market Tampax to a generation of women who were largely unfamiliar with the concept of tampons. So we're talking about a very conservative generation of women. And I, the the traditional female roles were very, um, I think openly talking about these things wasn't, wasn't really okay. So it's really interesting how to market it to women who, who probably need it, but it's not, um, it needs to be for a medical purpose, right? Rather than anything. So that's an interesting aspect of the, of the tampon. How to market it. And I don't think the first TV even, the first TV didn't come out until, what, like 1940s? When like I don't know, I'm I'm what magazines and radio marketing. I'm I'm pretty sure that's all they had, but well I guess we'll find out. So, in some ways, the advertisements for tampons in the 1930s and 1940s were unique due to the fact that they were designed to market an a new product which consumers might not be familiar with. A central theme in some of these early ads was the approval of the medical community. The first Tampax ad, which appeared in the American Weekly on July 26, 1936, proclaims that your doctor will be the first to tell you that Tampax is the most natural and most hygienic method of sanitary protection. Accepted for advertising by American Medical Association. As Karen Hoopert, I may have just butchered her name, but points out in her 1999 book, The Curse, Confronting the Last Unmentionable Taboo, Menstruation. This didn't mean that Tampax was actually approved or endorsed by the AMA, the American Medical Association. It only appeared in the Journal of the American Medical Association as a paid advertisement. Still, the association in women's minds of Tampax with hygiene, a sanctioned by the medical community, was what mattered. So, I'm assuming, you know, I brought up the fact that the women in other countries, like several centuries prior, using these methods of, of lint wrapped around a wooden stick. <laughs> that, there's no way that that's... Those aren't sanitary methods, you know, obviously. And, and especially women were wearing long dresses and, you know, living on the farm or, like, living in, in these areas, these rural communities where that would just cause infection. 
and ugh. so I'm sure that was a huge um I mean good on them for marketing it like that but I wonder how successful that was An article published in 1945 in Consumer Reports titled Tampons as Menstrual Guards provided another important source of medical approval for the use of tampons. Written by Dr. Robert L. Dickinson and originally published in the Journal of American Medical Association, this article is a point-by-point argument in favor of the use of tampons. One of the most interesting aspects of the article in the list of statistics about tampon use, which Dickinson includes at the point when he wrote the article, tampon use was about 10% that of commercial napkin use, but was increasing. A continuous survey of 749 drugstores finds an increase in tampon use all over the country, with 1,943 sales, about five times those. Excuse me, that's not a number. That's a year. <laughs> With 1943 sales, about five times those of 1936. This statistic is impressive because it means that in only the seven, in only the first seven years after Tampax was introduced, sales multiplied considerably. Dickinson also includes statistics as to the percentage of women who use tampons, finding that about one-fourth of American women use them in this time period. Interesting. Dickinson also points out a number of objections to pads at the beginning of his article, including the statements that they may cause irritation and promote contamination. Increase the formation of odor, appear too bulky under the clothing, create too much waste. And finally, that the wearing of pads is responsible for rhythmic play of pressure against the surfaces uniquely alert to erotic feeling. This last concern was probably brought up in reaction to certain religious and moral critiques of tampons, which claim that women would be sexually stimulated by the wearing of tampons. <laughs> what? That's funny. That's funny. It was probably that was probably a man that, that came up with that one, right? <laughs> Though there is no longer a large public outcry against the use of tampons for this reason. A related question of whether a girl can lose her virginity by using tampons still persists. She says still persists. This was in 1999, 23 years ago. So as late as 1990, Tampax was running ads to counteract this belief. The headline of the 1990 ad reads, Are you sure I'll still be a virgin? The photograph shows two girls, and the premise is that the ad is a testimonial from a teenage girl who was worried about losing her virginity by using tampons, and so asked her friend to give her the facts. Her mom is a nurse, so 
I figured she'd know the answer. She told me she'd been using Petal Soft Plastic Applicator Tampax tampons since her first period, and she's a virgin. In fact, you can use them at any age and still be a virgin. Similarly, a 1994 Sex and Body column in Seventeen Magazine answers a reader who writes in wondering whether using tampons means losing her virginity. A virgin is someone who has never had sexual intercourse, period. In this only slightly updated form, we can see the issues addressed in the Dickinson Report still circulating in tampon ads. Along these lines, although medical approval is general, in general, is no longer the selling strategy used by tampon marketers. Many of these specific points, which Dickinson brings up, are still important in more modern tampon ads. The claim that pads produce too much waste, for example, takes on a whole new significance in our modern culture, which pays lip service to recycling and environmentalism. Indeed, in 1991, a Tampax ad sets the product up as environmental, environmentally friendly. Think green, it urges, reminding women that the applicator is biodegradable. The issue that tampons prevent odor is also a selling point in certain ads throughout the years. Yeah, because they, they came out with like, like floral smelling, like I don't even, okay, Please, please, I know no one can actually respond to me because this is just me. It's a one way, but like, if you think that the floral scent in your pads and your tampons actually do it, do anything, please tell me because like, I don't, I think it's useless. I think it's like just some a tool for marketing and I personally never... I never thought that the the scent on the applicator or the scent, the scented pads even worked. I'd like, yeah, they smell good when they come out of the wrapper, but I'm a human and I have like, you know, bodily fluids. Like there's no way that you can overpower the scent. I don't know. If you want to leave your comments, you can head over to my Instagram and, and message me. It's soul underscore of a warrior. I would be happy to hear what you have to say. The issue that tampons prevent odor is also a selling point in certain ads throughout the years, but it is a statement that pads look bulky under tight-fitting clothes that is at the heart of many tampon advertisements. A 1972 testimonial style ad for Persets brand tampons in Seventeen magazine has a girl named Carol enthusiastically thanking the makers of Persets. I include this passage from the ad because of the prototypical selling points of tampons, which it brings up the assuaged fear of losing one's virginity, the issue of tampons not showing under revealing clothing, and a general sense of athleticism, which is common in many menstrual product ads. So here it is, the testimonials. Okay, this is from 1972. Dear sirs, I want to thank you so much for sending me my free 
Persets purse container in Persets. You see, I tried tampons before, but they were so big and bulky, I was afraid I might break a membrane or something. But I skate, roller, in competition, and believe, believe me, those short skirts and form-fitting tights can really make you self-conscious. And who can afford to lose even one day of practice before skate meet? State meet. <laughs> Luckily, your tampons came in just in time. Okay, that was the ad. And scene. <laughs> okay, these same themes are echoed in other examples from the series of testimonial style purset ads. Persets ads. A slightly later series of Persets ads are cartoon comic strips, each of which depicts a reason to try tampons instead of pads. The Persets tampons over other brands. Um, a 1975 ad of this cartoon style illustrates perfectly the reasoning that women should use tampons because they prevent the bulkiness of pads and are invisible even under the t- tightest or most revealing clothing. This ad headline is I thought my slinky new dress wouldn't make it and shows one girl enlightening another as to the advantages of persets okay so here's the here's the ad 1975 ad cartoon style girl one wearing your slinky new dress to the dance Sue girl two this is Sue no way I just got my period and every outline will show. Sure wish I could use a tampon. Girl one. Don't tell me you still wear napkins. You should try Persets tampons. Sue tries the Persets and is the big hit at the dance the next night. This general scenario, which echoes Dickens' 1945 article, is still being played out in tampon ads. Not only has the explicit textual content of these ads remained largely the same, many of the visual conventions of these ads seem to have held on since the earliest tampon ads. A 1988 article in Adolescent Magazine titled Imagery Associated with Menstruation and Advertising Targeted to Adolescent Women discusses some of these conventions. The article focuses on advertisements in a 25% random sample of 17 magazine issues from 1976 to 1986. 43% of the ads sampled were for tampons. Common themes, which the authors found in ads for both pads and tampons, were scientific lingo about the construction of the product, super absorbent fibers, capillary absorption action and the like in the images of, of athletic active females engaged in sports in the tampon ads this athletic theme often took the form of negative images describing situations where participation in activities could not occur because of menstruation until skill with a tampon was achieved was going to swim tomorrow was oh was going to swim tomorrow but references to the lack of odor when using tampons and into the comfort of not having to use pads were also discussed 
The visual conventions that the authors point to are associated with the look of the female models pictured in these ads. The women were often wearing white, tight-fitting clothes such as leotards, swimsuits, or shorts. On many occasions, the photos provided a clear view of the buttocks or perineal area. This tendency toward tight, white clothes and its persistence over time is perfectly illustrated by two ads. An ad for Fax, F-A-X tampons, from the late 1920s or early 1930s, and a 1980 ad for Relay tampons. The Fax ad depicts a cartoon line drawing of a Playboy bunny style bathing beauty wearing a white bathing suit. The Relay ad is a photograph of a thin, attractive teenage girl and her boyfriend paddling a motorboat in the headline when the motorboat or when the when the motor conked out we paddled home boy was i glad i was wearing relay not only is the model wearing a white bathing suit her boyfriend is sitting behind her in the boat staring directly at the place where a stain would appear if she were not wearing relay Okay. <laughs> okay. That that ad would not be okay in 2022. <laughs> what? I'm gonna put the link to this paper in the bio of both my podcast for this and my YouTube video because this is this is funny just like it shows the visual of the ads the textual themes and visual images used in tampon advertising have remained fairly static over the years implicit in many of these ads too is the underlying theme that menstruation is something to be hidden and ashamed of karen hooper makes this shame about menstruation the central focus of her book the curse so karen um mentioned previously in the same article she commented on dickinson's um studies or findings and in her book she she said that um she comments on the the advertisement of tampons saying that that they were endorsed by the AMA, the American Medical Association, but they weren't approved. They were just paid advertisements <laughs> in like in the in the magazines or whatever. So that's an interesting. So Karen Hooper makes a shame about menstruation, the central focus of her book, The Curse. She begins her book by making the analogy, blood is kind of like snot. Gross. How come it's not treated that way? People with running noses do not hide their tissues from colleagues and family members. Young girls do not cringe if a boy spies them buying a box of Kleenex. This analogy may not work for everyone, but its point certainly hits home. 
Okay, I'm just gonna pause there. That is a really great point. Like, when you are in the store, why is it such a secretive thing to buy not only pads and tampons, but also condoms and, like, birth control? I don't It's like... <laughs> why is that such a, like, um... I, I think it's it's traditional, like, religious beliefs. I, th- I believe, I, th- I think that's where that stigma comes from, of, like shame of like oh no I don't want anyone to know that I'm buying condoms or like I don't I don't want anyone to see me buying like pads and tampons like I'm a woman all women have this problem it's a it's a known thing but like why do we feel the need to hide it (laughs) it's that's just a funny thing to think about like where that stigma came from that we need to hide our periods and our um premarital sex (laughs) okay for something that happens to half of the human population menstruation seems to be treated with a lot of shame and secrecy hooper doesn't blame the shame surrounding menstruation entirely on the menstrual products industry and their ads but she suggests that they don't do much to counteract it either. This issue of menstruation being treated as a shameful and secret in ads for menstrual products addresses one of the first questions I had about the early history of tampons when I began my research. I wondered how companies had gone about informing women of their products when these products were commonly viewed as embarrassing and unmentionable. It turns out that largely the answer was in the question. Menstrual product companies in their advertising play upon women's insecurities about their periods in order to convince them to buy the company's products. Worried about odor? Use our deodorant tampon. Worried about leaking? Use our panting liners along with a tampon to feel safe. Worried about bulky pads showing through your clothes or about a boy finding out you have your period by seeing menstrual paraphernalia in your purse? Use our tampons in a handy carrying case or wrapped in a neon colored plastic so that no one will know what they really are. (laughs) That's interesting. A good marketing scheme. Do you think that it wasn't us that created this stigma? It was actually companies? That like, yes, we have these insecurities, but like, where did those insecurities come from? Was it because of the marketing of these products? That we had to, we felt the need to like conceal it? So instead, we get ad after ad that reaffirms this shame. One of the most blatant of of these is a 1974 cartoon ad for Persets from Seventeen Magazine. It depicts the horrific scene in which a basketball player knocks into a cheerleader, spilling the contents of her purse across the gym floor. She only narrowly avoids the utter embarrassment of having him see a tampon among those contents which convinces her her to switch to Persets tampons 
since these come in a neat compact since the very first ads for menstrual products this issue of secrecy has been stressed one dimension of these ads that has shifted slightly however is the audience to whom they're being targeted when tampons were first advertised it was in magazines targeted at women such as ladies home journal today though one rarely sees ads for menstrual products in women's magazines in jane for example a magazine aimed at women in their 20s and 30s there are no ads for menstrual products instead these ads are found in magazines aimed at teenage girls such as 17 ym and teen the reason for this is undoubtedly the belief that young people are more likely not to have formed their consumer habits and brand loyalties yet and that especially in the area of menstrual products if you can get a young girl to use a certain brand she'll probably stick with it her whole life that is a hundred percent true yep Mm -hmm. this belief is confirmed by certain unspecified studies which joan jacobs brumberg cites in her 1997 book the body project we also know from the reports of market researchers that when American girls begin to menstruate, their mothers usually introduce them to their favorite brand of sanitary protection and that girls remain loyal to that brand, generally without much experimentation. Yep, Mm -hmm. that's what happened to me. A girl's brand choice must not be entirely mediated by her mother's preferences however or else companies would have no reason to advertise to young girls when in fact companies exert large efforts into making young girls aware of their existence since at least the 1930s menstrual companies have been sponsoring pamphlets and film strips which are shown to girls in school to explain the process of menstruation usually these lessons culminate in the passing of out of free samples of whatever brand menstrual products sponsored the movie. In this way, companies must hope to stimulate brand loyalty in girls from the very moment of their first period. Um, I have two takes on this. So I was born in 1995. So my mom was pretty young. She was, like, only 25 years older than I was. Okay, I said that really weird. She was 25 when she had me. (laughs) But she she was still, like, pretty average young mom. And her preference in menstrual products, she was kind of up to date. Like, she, she used thin, flexible tampons with, or, uh, pads with wings and, and, um, you know, as far as tampons would go, she always told me, like, don't ever use the super, the big tampons, which I was like, there's a lot, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go off topic here, there's a lot of things that, like, a lot of, like, fears that they had, you know, um, I can't remember what it's called, um, 
what's a syndrome? Um, you know, if, if, if you leave a tampon in overnight, it's a toxic shock syndrome. That's real. Okay. She educated me about that, but you know, young, uh, young Morgan was like, you know, it's okay. It's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. And those little tiny little petite tampons that I first started using when I first had a period, she's like, my mom was scared. She's like, I don't want to get you too big of tampons because like, I don't really want you to use tampons because what if you leave them in and then you get toxic shock syndrome? And I'm like, mom, these little tampons like don't even work. And it's like, like you put them in and they're too small and then if they don't even work and then you just feel like they get lost up there you know but <laughs> it's like a cave it's like a, a cave <laughs> no <laughs> but you know basically what I'm saying is yes my mom turned me on to the brands she used but at the same time there were a lot of things that I like preferences that I learned about my own body uh, that were very different from my mom's and like how I needed different sizes and that I preferred tampons because I was active and because in the, the generation that I was in they did come out with more flexible tampons I felt like like Playtex Sport I'm I do not want to advertise for any company right now but I'm gonna I'm just saying I always preferred those. Um, I just felt like they were, it was easier to move around and like, I never felt anything, you know? So there were just certain preferences that I had because of my lifestyle versus my mom's, but she did turn me on to a lot of the same brands she used. In a similar, but more recent development, Tampax has introduced a website, www.troom.com, which is part webzine and part advertisement. Troom stands for Tina's Room and is aimed at young girls. Tina writes diary entries, tells girls about her taste in music, and also provides them with information about Tampax tampons. But does any of this stuff work? I've been informally interviewing women friends of mine about the topic of brand loyalty when it comes to menstrual products. No one who I talked about or talked to could remember what brand had sponsored her menstrual lesson. I know I certainly can't. All I remember is that it wasn't the brand my mom used. Okay, so I am going to look that up right now to see if that's still a thing because this article was written in 1999. So... I'm going to look up troom.com, T-R-O-O-M.com, I had a typo, Oop, hold on, let me try this again, I'm not finding it, so it must not be a thing anymore. Okay, back to the article. 
I was interested about to what degree Brumberg's claim that girls use the brand their mothers uses holds true. So I asked women to tell me what brands of menstrual products they use now, which they've used in in the past and in which they've used in the past and why they have made any changes that they have. Almost everyone I talked to had made at least one change in the products she uses. Sometimes it was for the reason of a simple perceived difference in quality. One product seemed to work better than another, so she switched. In many cases, though, the switch was explained by desire to use a product that was not just simply better, but safer or more environmental. Most of the women I talked to were too young to have experienced the toxic shock scare of the early 80s, which was associated with the Rely tampons, which had a new super absorbent synthetic brand of of tampons, which led to the toxic shock deaths of 38 women in 1980 alone, before it was taken off the market by its manufacturer, Procter and Gamble. Yikes. I spoke with one woman who was old enough to have used Rely. In fact, she told me she had just started using it and been favorably impressed with its absorbency. When the news came out that it was responsible for all these cases of toxic shock syndrome, at that point, she stopped using it and has negative connotations about the brand. When the younger women I talked with discussed changing their menstrual products for safety or environmental reasons, they were more likely to be talking about the link between commercially produced chlorine bleach tampons and dioxins. Several had switched to all cotton tampons, and one woman I spoke with had switched to the Keeper, a washable rubber cup that catches one's menstrual blood and can be used for up to 10 years. Okay, it's affordable and reusable and environmentally friendly. To these women, practical reasoning concerning their health or the health of the environment was more important than brand loyalty. In articles about tampon safety or menstrual pad waste were more influential in their decisions to change products than was advertising. But most of them did indeed start out using the same brands that their mother used and only switched when there was a convincing reason to do so. If all these women approach the consumption of menstrual products in a way not really defined by the menstrual product companies, I wondered, could it be possible that they also managed to avoid feeling a sense of shame and embarrassment about their periods that is so prevalent in ads for these products? At one point in The Curse, Hubert discusses the difference between public slash male and private slash female spaces when it comes to menstruation. In a 1994 Tampax ad that takes its style of an advice column, a girl writes in that she is embarrassed to take her plastic applicator out of the public bathroom stall at her school to throw it away in the wastebasket. The Tampax advice columnist agrees that this sounds embarrassing and recommends Tampax with flushable cardboard applicators. Ooh. That doesn't sound good either. (laughs) Cardboard flushables. Okay. But Hooper points out this ad is going beyond even the normal level of shame associated with menstruation. 
The women's bathroom being one of the areas in which women have traditionally gathered to commune with one another. Mm. It was just last week when I was in the bathroom at the library and an acquaintance came in and asked if anyone had a tampon she could use. I told her that I didn't, but the other woman who was in the bathroom said, I do. It's downstairs in my backpack. If you wait here, I'll go get it for you. There was no embarrassment in this encounter, just a sense of community. One woman was willing to go get a tampon for a stranger, another woman willing to put her trust in this. If this kind of thing can exist in the women's bathrooms of the world, maybe eventually it can expand outward into the larger community, perhaps even into the ads in teen magazines. The history of the tampon in America is one fraught with shame and confusion. This very fact can tell us something about the role of menstruation in the popular discourse. Further study into any of the areas I've touched on, from teen ads to menstrual booklets to interviews with women about their relationship to menstrual products, could provide greater insight into any number of issues. Themes of health, cleanliness, sexuality, and women's roles are just some examples of the areas that might be studied through the history of tampons. Okay, so that is the article. Um, I will post the site in the description. And so, yeah, how interesting. Um, I'm really curious. I'd like to do um, an episode about, like, horror stories, like, tampon horror stories, and, oh my gosh, (laughs) do you remember, like, being in high school or middle school, and you'd go over to your friend's house, and, like, you would have a heavy flow or something, like, this is me, okay, super heavy flow, and I'd go over, and we'd have a sleepover, and it's, like, there's always that fear, like, you're laying on your back, and you don't, because you don't want to bleed out of your panties or your pants because it's like all over the sheets and you're like, I'm at someone else's house. And how embarrassing is that? How embarrassing is that to go somewhere and like wake up and like have a blood spot or like not having a spare change of pants or, oh, so embarrassing. And so from my experience as a being a teenager I would wear tampons overnight sleepovers I would because my my flow was so heavy like I remember uh I remember like it was so heavy I get like the night pads that were like extra long but I'd get two of them <laughs> and I would like layer them so it's just like this long diaper all the way up the front all the way up the back and I like layered them so I would wear two pads and then I'd like put panty liners on the side just in case I'm like I'm I'm not exaggerating flow (laughs) your girl has a heavy flow (laughs) Mm -hmm. and like I would layer the pads and then I would put panty liners on the side just in case. Because I didn't, I didn't want it to stain my underwear. And I didn't like want it to get up my sheets. I didn't want to deal with all that. Ugh. And so I would get that. I would do that. But I would get sick of doing that. So I would actually, I would, so I started wearing a tampon at night. Because I'm like, I am so tired of dealing with this. I'm so tired of 
like I basically need a diaper <laughs> I basically need an adult diaper just to sleep at night because my period is so it's so crazy but I'm really curious to, to hear other people's stories and um yeah if you have a funny story write into to me um you can email it to me as well it's soulofawarrior.contactus at gmail.com I would love 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 to hear your stories and I will share them if you're okay with that just let me know um but yeah if you have a story write in let me know thanks for listening today I hope you liked this episode I like um giving you some information I like you know making it a little educational because I want to know this stuff too but I like sharing it with you you know and and I know not all the episodes you don't always want to be you know self-reflective and healing all the time and I'm like always that's how I am I like to be emotional I like to be introspective you know like that's me I like to do that but I know not everyone listening you know you're probably at work you're probably trying to do something productive and you're like come on Morgan like I don't want to be in my emotions all the time so it's good to, to hear something educational for once so thanks for listening today um check me out on YouTube as well I'm gonna start recording these so I will put my youtube in my description on instagram again my instagram is soul underscore of a warrior my youtube soul of a warrior on all my platforms i'm going to link everything together so it's going to be easier to find thank you have a blessed day